A reading from the 33rd chapter of Jeremiah, beginning with verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. The word of God for us. The people of God. Thanks be to God. A reading from the 21st chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehension of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up. And lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Every once in a while, you mess up. Y'all ever notice that? And you bring the wrong version of your Bible in. So I want to tell you something that I read that I don't think the translation is quite right in the NIV where it says a righteous Savior. It says, what it says is that the city will be called the Lord our righteousness. And it's echoing something else that was said in chapter 25 of this text. When Zechariah referred to the promise as a coming Messiah. 
a new covenant that would come. And when, excuse me, when Jeremiah, and Jeremiah did this while he was in prison. Did you hear that? While he was confined in the court of King Zedekiah because he had been preaching that Israel was in trouble. Because they had not been faithful, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was coming from Babylon and was going to defeat them. That made Jeremiah really popular, especially with the king. And so he had him put in jail, he put him in his courts and would not let him leave. And Jeremiah writes this during that time. And not only did Jeremiah write this during that time, something else happened to Jeremiah right before he was put in prison. God told him that this was going to come, that King Nebuchadnezzar was at the walls, that he was on the way, that he was going to besiege Jerusalem. And then God asked him to do something just plain dumb. He said, buy a field. Now you tell me, if you're living in a country that's about to be defeated by another country, are you going to buy property in that country? No. That would not be smart. But because God had a promise for Jeremiah to communicate to the people, God asked Jeremiah to do the unthinkable and to buy a field in Jerusalem. To buy a field there as a witness that there was a promise yet to come. But Israel had not kept their promises and their broken promises had brought them pain because that's what broken promises do and there's no way around it. Even if we're able to forgive someone for breaking a promise to us, chances are near 100% that there will still be pain for us. Is that fair to say? Even if we decide, us, oh, no big deal, I forgive you, once in a while we will think about it and there will still be pain. And often the one who breaks the promise experiences pain as well. And not every promise is broken out of the offending party's will. Sometimes even those who willfully break a promise to us do so while feeling helpless in their lack of ability to be faithful to the promise they have made. That feeling, dear ones, is the root of despair. Sin brings despair into the world. And despair is what the people of Israel were experiencing in Jeremiah's time. The willful breaking of a promise, the destruction of a covenant, the state of not being whom God has called us to be. This is the state of sin for people who were held under the power of sin. And to be so held is to be in despair. Y'all know what despair is? To be in despair is to be captive to death. It's in the midst of despair that we speak words such as it would be better if I had never been born. Or why am I still here? To be captive to death is to be in pain. And so we suffer. Either as those who break promises or are those to whom promises were made. And in our suffering, we experience knowing that things are not right. That there's something wrong in the world. That we are not right. That something is not as it should be. We sympathize with Paul's frustration as we realize the appropriateness of his claim. There is no one righteous, not even one. I mean, honestly. 
Have you ever sat and just reflected on how seldom you're told the truth, even by people who love you? To be righteous is to know God. In a covenant relationship with God, and the people of Israel had broken covenant with God, and they had lost righteousness. They had entered into despair. And so Paul says, there is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. In the language of Martin Heidegger, they despair because they are a people in despair. They despair because they are in sin, and sin is despair. And it's a cycle that we get trapped in. They have no peace. They have no hope. They were meant to be a people who could keep covenant, but they were not able to. But the Gentiles were not any better off. Paul reminds one Gentile church that without Christ they were dead in their transgressions and sins. That they were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise that they were without hope and without God in the world. Because of sin, all of humanity is in despair, without hope, dead in sin. But there's an even though in Jeremiah's text. A yet. Because though we may be less than faithful at times, God is always faithful. God is always righteous. And God's yet to Jeremiah comes in the form of the promise of a new covenant. That though Israel had broken covenant with God, God would graciously make a new covenant with the people. And through the prophet Jeremiah, God says these words, Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness. Not the sounds of despair, but joy and gladness the voice of the bride and the bridegroom, the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. The root of our hope in the Christian Christmas season is the promise that joy will return to the people. That the despair we see around us every single day is not all there is. That the lack of hope is not all there is. For God says, I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before. Though Israel has been unfaithful, God will restore them. The days are coming, says the Lord God. 
The days are coming. Advent, the beginning of something new, the beginning of fulfillment of a promise that God had made that God will not relent from. And implicit in the promise is the idea of being in covenant, of being expectant, of being hopeful in our waiting and trusting that God's promise will be so. And so we begin this season of waiting not in the pit of despair as the rest of the world would pull us into as China shakes her sabers at Australia and a new COVID rears its head in Africa. Why should we despair when we are children of the King? Children of a promise. Children of Advent. Children of coming. Children of waiting. Why should we hope in anything other than Christ? And if we hope in Christ, why should we wait in anything other than hope? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah In those days, that time, I, our God, says, I, I will keep my promise. I will fulfill it despite their unfaithfulness. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us who see ourselves as part of the new covenant God made through Christ. What does that mean for us in those days when we feel as though we have failed? What does it mean for you to know that even if you fail, God will not relent in God's promise to you? I hope that gives you some hope. I hope that gives you some hope. That's redundant, but you get the point. Don't let News anchors and grumpy people steal your hope. This world can fall apart around us, but we will not be shaken. If our hope is in the Lord, our righteousness, we need not fear. Even though Babylon is at our doors, shaking her swords, We can buy a field in hope and press on in faith. And so God promised that God will raise someone up from the line of King David, one to take the throne of David, a king of the Jews. And the city from which he will reign will be called the Lord our righteousness. When you read the Lord in all capital letters in your Hebrew Bible, in your Old Testament, right there is the divine name of God. yod heh vav heh is the consonants. There are no vowels in it because it's not meant to be said. When the Masoretes texted or pointed the Hebrew text way back when, because the people were forgetting how to read it, they supplied dots and tittles that were the vowels in the letters because there were no vowels in Hebrew. Not written. And they left the vowels out of the divine name that spelled Yod Hevav Heh. 
where we get Jehovah, Jehovah. What he's saying is God, our righteousness, is what the one given will be called. The one sent, Jesus, will be called God, our righteousness. The city that he will inhabit will take on that name and be called God, our righteousness. Christians believe that Jeremiah is pointing to Jesus here in both chapters 25 and or 23 and 33. That God's promise is about the new covenant in Christ. In this season of Advent, we prepare to celebrate the coming of the Word made flesh, the incarnation of the eternal Word, the birth of the Son of God. That's what this time is all about because it also prepares us for His second coming. In His first coming, we receive Him as children. In His second coming, He receives us as His children. We receive Him as a child and He receives us as His children. So we prepare ourselves to engage in hopeful waiting for that day. When the One who will restore justice and life to all creation comes, Today we renew our hopeful waiting for the one Jeremiah says will be called the Lord our righteousness. In the midst of all of the things that the world would do to cause us to feel anxious, we can wait with hope. Because the righteousness of Christ, we are being told, is imputed to us. It is accounted to us. He is our righteousness. And so we will be judged on the merits of who He is, not who we are, because we have faith in Him. Which means that Paul is correct to say to us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And though the rest of the world fall into the pit of despair, we need not fall with them. If we will maintain hope, in Christ and not give up waiting. We need not fear the return of Christ, but rather we should hope for it. Hope for His coming, for it is in His coming that He will undo the ravaging destruction that sin and death have wrought in the world. He will bring a new heaven and a new earth and God's dwelling will be with us. And we will be His people, we are told in Scripture. And God will wipe away the tears from our eyes. And so we are called to wait for that day with hope. For Jeremiah, it meant buying a field. What might it mean for us in this day? As people seem to be struggling more and more to make ends meet. As some people seem to be struggling more and more just to get the gumption to go to work. As some people are struggling with depression, with anxiety, with sadness. When some people feel frustrated by all of the systems that surround us. When some people have given up on our ability to govern ourselves. When some people have given up on their ability to even get up out of bed. What does it mean for us who live in a time when no one trusts anyone? 
where everything we said is poked and prodded for the negativity that's hidden underneath it, where things that we say even to friends they receive as threats. What does it mean for us to wait with hope? What does it mean for us who live in a time when people are skeptical of everything we say? What are we to do? How do we wait for Jesus as a people who don't despair? How do we wait for the King who is coming? You might remember back in the 2000s, there were little bracelets that popped up at all the Christian bookstores. Had WWJD on them. Remember that? No? I should have brought one. Oh, okay. Just checking. Y'all know what the WWJD meant? What would Jesus do? I'm told that somebody asked Martin Luther one time what he would do if he knew the world was ending tomorrow. He said he would plant a tree because he had hope in Christ. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the point he made. What about us? Can we not approach life in this world and ask ourselves, what would the king do? What would our Lord do? Can we not look to the story that we have, the Gospels, and see how did Jesus behave around people who were in despair? How did Jesus approach people who were hurting? What did Jesus do for the hungry? What did Jesus do for people who had lost hope? What did Jesus do for people who didn't know that it was okay for them to still be alive? What did Jesus do for people that the rest of the world wanted to stone? What did Jesus do even for us? Can we not look to the story of Christ and know what we can do to wait, hopefully? We purchase fields. We help other churches repair their facilities. We have a love feast and feed 250 people. We go to a parade of lights and proclaim the story of Christ, even if it's not a Christmas parade. Y'all will get, I mean, our float's pitiful, but it's going to be okay. What else can we do? We show up to work and we speak the name of Jesus as something other than a cuss word. We show up in people's lives who are hurting and tell them about the one who loves them no matter how much they have failed. Do you not know a person who is in despair because they are broken? Because they have experienced sin in their life and they are hurting? Do you not know someone who needs for you to come alongside them and say the name of Jesus? Then dear one, if you know that person, that is your field to go by. Go by it today. If you know a person who is hungry, go by them. In the name of Christ, go and proclaim hope to them. Go serve them and give yourself for them. That's what your Lord did for you. And if we're going to wait as if He's King, that's what waiting as if He's King will look like. Otherwise, we can just roll off in despair and sing songs about by and by sweet heaven when we die stuff. And ignore the fact that Jesus wants us to be about something now in this life. That the righteousness that He's putting on us, that the righteousness of Jesus that's accredited to us, that allows Him to be called the Lord, our righteousness changes us. It 
That knowing Jesus transforms us from a people of despair to a people of hope who go out into the world and shout to the rooftops that Jesus is alive and serve those that Jesus loves. At its worst, the what would Jesus do bracelet thing was talked about as if I do everything right like Jesus did, I can go to heaven. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you to take that bracelet at its, at its best and look at the situations in your life and in your neighbor's life and in your enemy's life and ask yourself, what would Jesus do about this? And then do it. That's how we wait in hope. Not sitting around on our hands and wondering when things will get better by going out and giving ourselves to make things better. That's how we wait with hope. That's our calling today to go out and buy a field even when the enemy is beating down the doors. Because we know the King. Because we know the One who is coming. And He, dear ones, is our righteousness. So I say to you this morning, let us be bold enough to hope and to wait hopefully and expectantly and to serve Him boldly as we wait. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.